Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sharon Houston punked Magic Johnson, Too Short, and 18 other celebrities on Punked, fooled Kim Kardashian's fans on Celebrities Undercover, and has filmed hidden camera pilots for VH1, E!, Disney Channel, Style Network, and Dick Clark Productions. Sharon has been a fixture in clubs and cabarets since the 1990s, first in New York City and more recently in Los Angeles. Her podcast, Daytime Justice, looks under the robe at daytime court TV shows and reveals behind-the-scenes stories from her work as a show producer. She's performed stand-up on Comedy Central and Last Comic Standing, and she released her first comedy album in late 2017. In early 2018, she sat down with me in Hollywood to talk shop. As Jon Stewart once told her, stop complaining. This is the fun part. So let's get to it. So Sharon Here are your Houston. earbuds. You're not going to ear- test the audio? No. I feel good. All right. I see it. I see the I see the things. You see the things moving? I yeah. want to see what level you're recording at. Oh, you see your zoom is different than mine. Yeah, it's different than mine. No, those are good levels. Okay. Do you like so, how I've been micromanaging your podcast since the second you asked me if I would do you, it? That puts you in elite company. That's you and Mark Marin. Are you serious? Yeah, Mark was looking at my Zoom the entire time. He was worried. He was concerned for me. I love Mark. Then again, I only had the Zoom for like a month at that point. So oh. he was right to take control. He's a master. Yeah. He was doing the Zoom before anybody was doing the Zoom. Mm. Right? He's a Zoom master? I mean, kind of. For so Sharon Houston... Yes. Uh, thanks for being my guest. Oh my God. Thanks for asking me. You always have super famous people on your podcast. And I was like, wait, I'm going to, oh, yes, I'd love to do your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are two things. There are two things that I know for sure about Sharon Houston, comedian. Okay. One is that you've been a writer and producer on many a television program. Well, yeah, bad ones, yeah. Yeah. But like reality ones. Reali- yeah, it yeah, still yeah. Counts. It still counts. And two, that you have an act that uh, can work in both clubs, mainstream clubs, and cabarets. Yes. So, and a lot of your a lot of your TV experience is legal. Uh, right? A lot of it. Well, it, half of it. Okay. Half of it is like court shows. That's why I started my podcast, Daytime Justice. And it originally it was just like behind the scenes of court shows, mm-hmm. and now it's like behind the scenes of reality talk. You know, comedy variety shows like. All genres of reality. Okay. So, but yeah, a lot of legal. Like, friends call me and ask me, but, okay, so I had a friend mm-hmm. that was going through a really nasty divorce. And he's like, Sharon, I don't know what to do. I can't serve her. I don't. And I want to try to do this on the cheap. You know, he, divorce attorneys are very expensive. And I'm like, hey, you know, you don't need a divorce attorney. You can hire a mediator. It's much less expensive. They know the law. They can help you uh, bang this out. So I helped him find a mediator so that he wouldn't have to pay for a divorce attorney. And then I told him how to serve someone who doesn't want to be served. And uh, do you know Joe Wagner? No. He's an L.A.-based comic. He okay. literally straight up... Wore a trench coat, hid behind a car <laughs> until his then wife came mm-hmm. out of her acupuncture appointment, and then Joe was able to serve her <laughs> on behalf of Pat. It was genius. all due to your legal expertise. Mm-hmm. Now, was it purposeful that you were doing all these legal shows? No, or just it was an happenstance. Accident. Happenstance. Okay. I was living here. So I it's not like you were going to law school and oh fuck no. 
Mm. And then we're like, you know what? I'm too funny for this. I need to be doing comedy instead. Yeah, there's nothing funny about court shows. So that would definitely not be my <laughs> angle if I went to law school and was like, um, I think I need to do more or different. So um, what was your plan when you started out? As a comic? No, before. Like when you were... When you were a teenager with hopes and dreams, what were those initial hopes and dreams? To be a comedian. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Did you have it all mapped out? Like what it would look like? What your adult star? No idea. I I honestly, I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be a comedic actress. Okay. I just didn't know if I was going to go stand up because I loved watching stand up and I would Mm -hmm. just consume it all the time. Or if I would end up being like an act like a comedic actress like a Madeline Kahn Mm -hmm. you know because or Jennifer Saunders because um, you know that's I loved that too and I was in drama in high school and I was a drama queen so uh, but then I ended up when I moved to New York I was like well if I get a day job Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do improv at night I'll go to an improv school and meet people and get on a team where'd you grow up Miami Miami okay And then if I, and then I said, if I get a night, no, I'm sorry. I said, if I get a day job, I'll do stand up at night and I'll hit all the clubs. If I get a job waiting tables, then during the day I'll take classes at some improv school and then get on a team and, you know, perform on the nights that I'm not slinging hash and I ended up getting a day job. So I was like, well, stand up it is. And I liked it better because I did do sketch in college and I did. Well, you went to college in New York or no, where'd no, you go to I went to college in Texas and Virginia. Okay. But I dropped out of both schools. I'm a dropout. So you grew up in Miami, and then you go to school in Texas and Virginia, decide neither one is really for you. And New York, because of the theatrical? Well, no, I just always wanted to live in New York. And I'm like, if you're going to be an actor or a comedian, I was just, I just had balls. Like, when I look back at, like, how much cojones I had at the age of 19, I'm like... You go. I was a crazy bitch. You know, like I just packed up my shit. I worked three jobs over the summer. My parents were like, don't do this. Finish school. And I'm like, I left. I dropped out of school because my dad kept wanting me to change my major. I'm like, I'm never going to graduate if I have to keep like, I don't understand why you're so invested. Why you think I'm going to get a high paying job Mm -hmm. with an undergraduate degree. It's insanity because he didn't go to college. So he doesn't know. Anyway, he just wanted his daughter to have a college degree. I don't even know if he cares about that. Oh. He just was being a bully. Uh, but I just was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to finish out this semester with a decent GPA. So if I go back, I'll be able to get in somewhere. And I'm going to work three jobs. And I'm going to move to New York. And that's what I did. And I had two cats and my clothes and a sublet for two months. And I made it happen. And I found a place to live. <laughs> did you have a plan? No. Other than... I'm just going to live in New York and that'll be the living the dream. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to New York and I'm going to do comedy and that's it. Bye everybody. Did you know where to find comedy? Nope. When you got there? No So idea. what did you do? Um, How did you find it? Let's see, darling. Well, there's a little magazine. Was it in the yellow pages? Or? No, darling. It was in Backstage East or Backstage. Maybe okay. that magazine Backstage. Backstage. Not Time Out. Backstage. Backstage. Time okay. Out. Time Out wasn't in New York until like 98. Okay. I think or maybe 96. And what year did you move to New York? Oh, God. 93. Okay. And um, I, I just was like, I'm going to go in backstage and I'm going to find something. I'm going to find a stand-up class. And I took a stand-up class. And that's where I met Eric Slovin and Leo okay. Allen. In the class? Uh-huh. We were all in our first stand-up class. We had all... I mean, Leo and I had just moved to New York. Eric, you know, is a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and Louis Schaefer and Dan Natterman. <laughs> You're outing them all as comedy class. I mean, student, as comedy students. We don't care because we took a class with Lee Frank, and that okay. was the guy to take from because. This is this is this is what I heard. I went to some open mics and everybody said, not everybody, but one person said, "You got to take from Lee Frank." And I okay. because he's going to give it to you straight. He's going to tell you you're going to perform in shitholes for the majority of your career. It's the hardest fucking thing you'll ever do. Just be yourself on stage. And uh, I'm glad that he's the person that I I should I don't want to say learned from, but but yeah, learned from. I'm glad he was the first person I Where talked to. Where were the classes held? New York Comedy Club. Okay. Yeah, the old one on like first, second, first or second, uh, in the twenties. Yeah. Is that where the new one is? Yeah. Oh well, then yeah. I think it's just different ownership. Oh, okay. Yeah, that club. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a graduation, then that's your first show. Yeah. Graduation. My first show was terrible. Oh, you know who was always there hanging out at New York Comedy Club? Who? Mike Bichetti. (laughs) That's when I met Bichetti. Same (laughs) act. Same act today. (laughs) I love Bichetti. Looking around that (laughs) class, though, did you? Did you realize that there were actually ta- other talented people in your class at, oh, the, yeah. at the time? I mean, yeah. Because sometimes you're, when you're taking a class like that, you're like, I don't know who these people are. I doubt I'll ever see any of them again. Oh, no. This class didn't feel like that at all. Okay. We all became friends. And we would go to open mics together. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that's when we met Louis Schaefer, okay. not gay. Uh, we used to go, and we would go together. We would go to Mike's together, and mm-hmm. then we would go to the cellar and sit in the back and watch Greg Giraldo and watch Wanda Sykes, who's now a friend of mine, which is crazy. And you know who was fucking brilliant and who would bring the house down every night or every night she was there? Caroline Ray. Nice. Would destroy. Um, and this is the regular show or the late night show? Late night show. Okay. Uh well, I mean, it was kind of always kind of like one continuous show then, I think. It was like, you would just show up late at night, and there you are. And, mm-hmm. you know, Geraldo's there, and David Tell's doing a set. And then Louis Schaefer ended up being a regular MC at the cellar. Okay. He worked his way into that, because he used to bark at Boston Comedy Club. Ah. So, yeah, it was, an, it was a great... Just like Pete Holmes and Crashing. Oh, does he... I don't watch the yeah. show. Does he bark in front of the Boston Comedy yeah, yeah. Club? Oh, yeah. Which I guess he did. At the beginning, too. That's great. I mean, it's a great way to where, get stage time. Where did you Where did you finally get stage time in the beginning? The duplex. Gay clubs. Okay. Gay clubs. The duplex. Um, there's this bar that's not there anymore. Uh, in the, It was called uh, Henrietta Hudson's A Lesbian Bar. Okay. We used to call it Hank's. Uh, it's on Hudson Street in mm-hmm. the village. Um, and then Caroline's. Louis Franda was very nice to me and would put me up at Caroline's. All right. Um, and he's still there. And he's still there, bless. Uh, and yeah, so I, that's mostly where I performed. And then indie indie rooms. I did a lot of the Lower East Side rooms, like Surf Reality, Collective Unconscious. I was there for the beginning, the genesis of that crazy Lower East Side alternative comedy, you know. And then we would slip over after doing our shows at like Surf or Pink Pony or whatever. We would zip around to go to Luna Lounge and watch Louie and Mark. You know, it was it was a fun time. Did it seem like you were underground rebels in the moment, or did it just seem like you're doing something and how come people aren't paying more attention? Or No, not at all. I mean, we just felt like we were living the... Dr- I remember one specific moment. This, is, this was like an amazing New York moment. I was walking through Times Square when Times Square was still Times Square. Right. Just Be- shitty. Before Giuliani. Before, well, no, it was d- during Giuliani. It okay. just... He hadn't... It hadn't turned into Disney quite yet. Right, he was. Okay. 
making it happen. So we're walking through Times Square, and I'm with Natterman, mm -hmm. uh, and this comic named Sarge Pickman, and a comic who doesn't do comedy anymore named Steve Nadick. Um, I didn't have any, all my friends were Jews in New York. It was so great. And uh, we were walking through Times Square, and then uh, Sarge was like, this is the best city in the world. We are having the best time. And I was like, we really are. I don't know. It was just like a moment that I just hold, hold dear to my heart. Uh, to be a young comedian. I know. It was the, so fun. Of, in the hub of comedy. Well, that's what John Stewart said, too. John Stewart said, he's like, enjoy this, because this is the fun part. When did, he, did he say that to you directly? He said it to, like, a group of friends outside. Where I was with Dave Jeskow. Okay. And we were talking to him, and I don't know, he just... I think I, or one of the comics, was complaining about not getting up, or some bullshit, or some crap about a bar show. Right. And he said, stop complaining. This is the fun part. It's like when you start getting in, and you get a show, and you're really working, and you're trying to maintain that, he goes, that's the hard part. That's the no fun part of comedy. This is the best part of comedy. You're experiencing it right now. Now, when I moved to New York City 2007... The scene had changed quite a bit. A lot of mm -hmm. those shows you mentioned didn't exist anymore. Uh, but there were places like Rafifi and Mo Pitkins was a thing. And um, and then Brooklyn started to happen. But what I also found was there were a lot of indie shows that comedians decided to start themselves. Right. To have their own space. Did you ever do that in New York? No. I mean, I had a show at... Uh, yeah, I did. I had a show at a gay bar called Uncle Charlie's, which okay. is no longer there. Right across from the Dew Drop In, which I also think is no longer there. Uh, what neighborhood was it? West Village. Okay. Um, Uncle Chuck's is what I used to call it. Uncle Char Every Monday night I had a show at Uncle Charlie's. We'd put my friends up. But it was really kind of like a, everybody did longer sets. But I would have big, you know, Andy, um, Andy Engel booked mm -hmm. it. Okay. And so Judy Gold would do sets. Mm -hmm. and, like we had really good comics come. It was a great place for me to learn. And this was what I learned. I learned crowd work. At that show. Because the first week I was there, all the queens loved me. The second week, they were like, we've heard this before, but we're going to be nice and laugh. The third week, they were like, come up with some new shit, bitch. <laughs> so I just started doing, like, in, just be, staying in the moment, asking how their day was, insulting people. Then the audience grew, and they would come just to see me do the crowd work okay. with them. So that was, like, a huge... That was, like, such a great show. And I got paid. Andy made sure I got paid. That's the thing. In New York, you get paid for doing stand-up. For the most part. For the most part. Here, I mean... Sometimes it's drink tickets, but... Well, I mean, when it's an indie show, it's drink right. tickets. But when you play a club, you get paid. Right. And, I mean, and when you play a gay bar, you get paid. Here, you don't get paid. I mean, I get paid at the improv, you know, a bit uh, from the door. Like, mm -hmm. that's what they do for the regular comics. Unless you're a big star. You're a big star, you're going to get paid. But if you're just a, a comic doing a spot on the show, you get a draw, okay. which is nice. It's nice to get 20 bucks cash, but how, it's not like the same as New York. How much did learning crowd work at your Uncle Chuck show, how much did that filter into your performance style everywhere else? I would have never been on all the hidden camera shows I've been on if I weren't good at crowd work. That was like my improv. You know, so did you get any of them in New York or only once you moved to L.A.? Only once I moved to L.A. What was what was the thing that that made you decide that was the time to move? Um, I had a deal with a with a studio. Oh, and they gave me a bunch of money. And How so, did you get the deal? Somebody saw me in a gay bar, 
honest to God, somebody saw me at Hen- Henrietta Hudson's at Hanks. It was uh, Ann Maney, who was an executive at Disney at the time. Take that just for laughs. Hello. You can get, get a deal at a gay bar. You never know. From Disney. From Disney. And uh, and then I didn't really want to move out here, but my managers at the time were like, you, we got to work the deal. You got to get out here. And then I moved out here and... Like I, I literally went to my manager's house. I drove to his house and I, in my rental, and I was like, "I need you to help me buy a car. I'm out here by myself. I don't know anyone. I'm freaking out." Like and no, like I moved out here, and then nobody returned my phone calls. And it, so it was very like, "What just happened?" I definitely, I'm glad I moved to LA, but I don't. I would have loved to have stayed in New York a few more years, right? You know, because my rent was nothing. I could have. Saved all. I mean, I did save a lot of money, but I don't know. I just think I would. It would have served me better to stay in New York, where I was a little more established and I could get more stage time and really continue to develop and continue doing my thing. Whereas I moved out here and it was like I was starting from nothing. How did you? How did you eventually stop from freaking out? Hmm, that's a good and question. Packing it all in and just going back to New York. I believed in myself. I think I just was like, you made the commitment. This isn't an accident. Even though, you know, I hadn't been doing stand-up for that long, and I know people were saying things behind my back, like, she doesn't deserve it. This is what the industry does. They 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 give comedians who aren't ready opportunities. And, then, and, it, and all of that is true. But I just thought, well, you're here for a reason. Stay. Just learn as much as you can. Just fucking hammer it out, you know? And that's what I did. Did you do pilot seasons and all that stuff? Only one. I've never, uh, of all the years I've lived out here, I've never had an agent ever. Oh, wow. I had a commercial agent for like a year. Um, and I booked shows, but they came to her. She didn't submit me. Does that make sense? Even when you were doing the hidden camera TV shows? Yeah, I got her after I was on Punked. And then, you know, people would call, like I hosted a, I hosted a, a makeover show pilot for Style. I did, you know, a commercial, like a internet commercial for uh, LG phones with Jane Lynch. She was lovely. Um, you know, a couple of things, but like uh, all the money I made for, which wasn't much, but mm-hmm. all the money I made for the agency was because they came to her looking for me. Hmm. She's not a bad agent. She's a great agent, but she just never, you know, Got you know, for you. yeah. So I've gotten what, all of my own work. Every TV show credit was I punk have. the first thing you got? Or did you get something before punk? I got something before. I got a couple of small things before punk, but not mm-hmm. like a series regular like punk. How did you get punk? The casting director begged me to audition. She'd been asking me for three seasons, and I was like, no. Oh, so you weren't part of the original punk. No, were... I was season season eight. Season eight? I don't, <laughs> Nobody, I don't no, know They what all that blend means. together. I know. They all blend together. It, well, this was probably like... I done it. Was ca- there an Ashton Kutcher lookalike by that point hosting it instead no. of Ashton Kutcher? No, Ashton hosted it. And Ashton okay. was on all on set for okay. all the bits. <laughs> he didn't always pop out to go. You've been punked, but mm-hmm. he was there in the control room. Okay. And he and Demi were still together. Or Demi, oh, they yeah. were still together. And she is so lovely. She would come to set, no makeup on. She's wearing just like a button down shirt and like a pair of capris and has her coffee bean. And she's like, "Good morning, good morning." So so sweet, no makeup on. Looks like she's fourteen. <laughs> I mean, just it was just really that was I don't know. I really liked chatting with her when she would come to set. She was just so cool and nice. But yeah, that was like my best. But I had done a hidden camera show for a hidden. I'm doing air quotes. Hidden mm-hmm. camera show for Comedy Central. Oh, and, and it was such a horrible experience. What was that show? It's called Con. I don't even remember that one. Yeah, good, good. Um, it was just, and I said, I'm, I'll never do a hidden camera show again. And then, but then, 
the casting director begged, begged me. You. And so I went in and auditioned. And then she goes, well, you're getting a call back. I go, great. Well, if I get it. When she asked me for a headshot, I sent her a headshot of me wearing my boyfriend's motorcycle helmet, the guy that I was dating at the time. Uh-huh. They couldn't even see my face. And she goes, uh, they love you because you submitted this fucking headshot. I'm like, great. Well, I don't want that goddamn job. I auditioned. They were, she goes, well, they love you. You're getting a call back. I go, whatever. I go to the call back. Uh-huh. Ashton's there. I do the audition. I get a call an hour later. And, and Jennifer Dumont, who was the... Uh, casting director she goes someone loves you I go oh no she goes yeah you're getting an offer and I was like shit oh, I don't want that fucking job so then I call my friend Adam Spiegelman and I was and Adam Spiegelman was part of the Eat Lower East Side scene mm-hmm. and he lives out here now and I was like should I take this job he goes Sharon you're gonna tell your grandkids about this and I'm like well I'm not having kids so I won't have grandkids he's like you have to do it how many people say they were you know a series regular on right. punk I'm like okay so I took it how many celebrities did you end up punking a lot because a lot of them don't make it to air because there was one that we uh, punked this huge NFL star, and it didn't air. And I think it's because it was really funny in the moment, but they couldn't find the humor when they were doing the editing, I oh. think. So there were a couple of bits that we shot that didn't make it to air. So we probably punked, let's see, there's two per episode, eight episodes. So that's 16. We probably punked 20 people. They had a really big budget. I mean, the art department was stellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art department is this guy, Oscar Albuene. He's Cuban, like me, Cubano. And uh, he's so talented and he really knows how to make good camera hides. I mean, in special effects, it was really cool to watch them work. What what con job to punk somebody was your favorite? Because mm. you don't have to list the celebrity. It's just, what was your favorite? My favorite your was... Your favorite prank. My favorite prank was uh, the prank that we did on Too Short, which was his crew... Uh, pulled up at a high school. They were like, hey, free car wash. Mm-hmm. And the girls are washing the car and they start showing him their tits. And then uh, the cops, sh- I show up and mm-hmm. I'm like, these are high school girls. What are you doing? And one of them was so scared because he saw the cops coming that he ran off into a field. <laughs> a PA chased him, couldn't find him. We don't know whatever happened to him. <laughs> they were all so fucking scared. He's like, I'm not getting caught with underage girls. Yeah. But that was my favorite. And just like holding two shorts feet to the fire and going, these are high school girls. Like, I'm their cheerleading coach. <laughs> like, it was... And he was so sorry. He was so nice. Everybody was so nice. Magic Johnson was really nice. I could see that. He's gigantic. Yeah. But he, like, looks like a football player, not a basketball player. Like, I'm like, how did you run fast? Well, You're- by the time you met him, it was years after he had retired. So he bulked up. Yeah, maybe that's, that's what it. athletes do. They either bulk up or they slim down. Depending I mean, on what he's, they his shoulders are as big as me. I'm 4'10 and a half. His shoulders are that. Like, I could not. When he shook my hand, it was like a baby hand going mm-hmm. into a mitt. Like, I mean, because he, he's just a big man and so nice. Then, and then you have like a string of legal shows. How did that? Well, okay. Come so about? that's like my unemployment office per se. So there are very few producers in LA who have the skill set to produce a court show or the mental will or the desire. And you weren't a producer coming up. You just learn these skills. Well, you working well on, you you work on the first show. Yeah, you work as an associate producer mm-hmm. and work your way up okay. to producer, senior producer, supervising. You just learn on the job. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's. It's literally court show producing and talk show producing is literally the same thing. You're looking for good stories and then you have to make sure the people don't freeze up on on camera. That's it. It's just 
you know, it's the same thing that you do as a casting producer, which I do that sometimes too, where it's like you find people who have good stories, you get them excited, you get them to talk on camera, and then you show them to the network and they go, we love them, and then they book the show. It's it's really just about being like a human cheerleader and okay. someone who can find good stories. I mean, it's, but I, I don't know, it's and not... And it turned out that you were really good at that, I guess. I'm really good at it, but I don't like it. You know, but you, here's the thing. I'm grateful that I have... Here's where it's all led to. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to go back to the Disney deal. Mm-hmm. I got my ass handed to me. Uh, I lost so much money and I owed the IRS a ridiculous amount of money because I didn't incorporate. Because oh. I was advised, don't incorporate. Be paid as an employee. Trust us. And that was the absolute wrong thing to do. So, I was... Living th- my nightmare my entire life was I don't want to be a broke, struggling actress in Los Angeles. And then there I was. And I didn't leave my bedroom for a week. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn everything I can about television so this never happens again. So that's when I started looking for... I mean, I worked kind of worked in TV in New York. But like this was the real deal here okay. in L.A. So I... I me and a friend, a friend and I collaborated and made a short film and it got into uh, Outfest. It got into, you know, so oh, nice. that was one thing I learned. And then I started working, you know, on shows and then I landed at Judge Joe Brown was my first court show. And, uh, you know, but then I left Judge Joe Brown because I re- like everyone there had been there their whole TV career and then, you know, tried other things and learned other things. And now I know how to shoot. Now I know how to edit. Now I understand contracts. Now I understand the difference between a created by EP, co-EP. I know how to record audio. Um, I know how to use most DSLR cams. So I know how to use an Avid and Premiere. So I know a lot about the functioning, the the machinations of TV, how to make a TV show. Like the, you know, you make a budget, you hire a crew, you, you know. And I've, I just feel like I'm so much smarter when I go in and pitch shows. And now I, you know, I have relationships with production companies and I can go in and pitch shows. I have a deal now with Scout Productions who created Queer Eye and ITV Studios, who's their partner. Mm -hmm. Um, The year before that, I had a deal with Wanda's company, Wanda and Paige's company, Push It. Uh, Every year, I keep coming closer and closer to selling a TV show because that's always been my like end game. You know, I've always wanted to create a TV show. I didn't know. Does it it matter if it's for yourself or no? Okay. Because the show I'm selling now is not for myself. Uh, I attach talent to it, but it's like you know. But I didn't know what it would look like, and now that I'm in the future, it's like oh, so it looks like this. Not what I thought it would look like as a kid, but this isn't so bad. Not Madeline Kahn, but it's not Madeline Kahn. But I am creating really great content and one thing that I've learned and maybe it's because I'm a woman now um, I've done so many shows where you exploit people for the wrong reasons and the shows that I've created exploit people for the right reasons I didn't mention last comic standing (laughs) (laughs) no I'm talking about court shows that's even worse (laughs) believe it or not and oh and uh, America's Got Talent but I know you've been a contestant and a producer what a horrible experience that was which contestant oh yeah oh the worst. What season were you contestant? Two. Okay. Oh, that was that was the one that first really invited controversy because yes. of the judging and whether the judges got to pick or whether it was all. Oh no! It, it, well, that's the thing is like all the comics were told we want to show, but I didn't want to do it because I first of all they saw me for the pilot. Doug Stanhope's in the pilot. I didn't want to be in the pilot, uh, and they wanted me because I was like I'm not going to live with Ralphie May. It's just not happening, <laughs> and that's why they wanted me on the pilot. Right. Because they were putting you in a house, and so they want to see that. They want to see me get creeped Anger. out by a guy who's eating everything in the fridge. Right. And 
I mean, I love, I didn't know Ralphie well, but I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't want to live in a house with a bunch of comics. I'm like, I have cats. No, thank you. <laughs> Fufu and Gigi would not be happy if I were not around. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just, it was really weird because they said, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to treat everybody like comics. And then when we were in New York, we realized, oh, the fix it. This is weird because people are advancing who played to silence and people who killed are not moving on and then when Dan didn't move on in Vegas that's when everybody right Natterman yeah yeah um, when shit hit the fan but I mean I take I take responsibility for my set because A I was nervous B I was dressed like a drag queen so because my manager at the time was like you need to wear this outfit at all times everywhere <laughs> and I was like what he goes oh no no more pants on stage you're short waisted or he said something like, you're short-waisted and don't wear necklaces because you don't have a neck. Like, he just ripped me apart physically. Wow. And I'm like, I never realized how ugly I was until then. And I'm... That's a different kind of harassment. Yeah. And I'm really not Based on gender, mostly. Yeah. Based on gender. Totally. So I was just like, oh. And I, and I kept trying to change clothes and the crew would not let me leave the backstage area. I'm like, I want to go put on jeans and a t-shirt. I want to go put on jeans and a t-shirt. And they were like, you have to stay here. I'm like, I go, well, then you fucking bring a PA with me and go up to my hotel room with me. It just, it was just like, and, but then, it, I don't know, it was just a nightmare. It was bad. I always kind of look back and go, how could I have handled that differently? But then, after that, I booked like three TV shows. I booked Punked. I booked... Uh, I did a, a, a 70s, the 70s house that was on MTV. Okay. I did a character in that with Chris Fairbanks, the scene with Chris Fairbanks. I know the creator of the show, stand-up comic, Aaron Lee. Still hang out with him and go see music shows with him. We're both nice. big hip-hop heads. And, uh, and then I sold out my one-woman show at the Comedy Central stage several times. So it was worth all the headaches in the end, you think? No. I mean, I shouldn't say it's not worth all the headaches. I, it was a great lesson to learn for me, and I'm glad that most people, I hope most people have forgotten it, but I don't. And then I made Fahrenheit LCS, too. Okay. Which people lost their shit about and went viral because of Patrick at uh, the oh, stand. Oh, Patrick Millian. Yeah. yeah cringe humor. Cringe at humor. Time, it went it viral cringe on cringe humor, yeah. But now, some 10, 15 oh, years later. 15 years later. Um, you're, you're selling shows. Still performing. Yep. Are you like? Is are do you feel like that's a, there's a good balance in your personal professional life right now in terms of professional? Yes, personal never. I guess I mean in terms of like performing shows, but but when you're selling shows, you're not trying to sell yourself. A little bit. You're okay with that. You've recon- yeah. you've reconciled that part of. Well, you sell yourself in a different way. Like I, 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 I what Sharon Houston, adult comedian. Yeah, well, grown you, up it, person this is, it, totally. in the world. You just like when you go into a pitch meeting, you want them to like you. It, it helps to be a performer because you can really sell the idea in the room, and they're all like, "This girl's so fun. We want to work with her." Like that's that to me. Like I don't have. I've never. I don't have an, an ego where I'm like it needs to be the Sharon Houston show, mm-hmm. and it's about her and her rise and daytime court television. Yes, I have created that show. Yes, I had to deal for it at Fox Twenty One, but it didn't happen, and it's fine. Like, I just want to be creative, and I want to put it out there into the world, and I want to make people laugh. And whatever that looks like, it might be the show I have a deal for now. It might be for something else. That's all I care about. Uh, and you put you put out an album in 2017. I did in October 2017. October it was 18th. your first one. First right? one, yeah. I tried to record one in 2009. Audio was shit. Oh, I got okay. discouraged, and I never tried to do it again. 
What made you finally decide, okay, now I'm going to do it. I'm going to get all this stuff. I'm going to get the suicide bit. I'm going to get all this stuff <laughs> on record for permanence. Uh, for permanence and for posterity. I just was like, why am I wait? What am I waiting for? I mean, there's so many kids here in LA that are so great and they fucking hustle like the Brandy Posies of the world and they do it themselves. And I'm like, I have more, you know, technical know-how than why aren't I doing it? You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, you learned all this, all these skills. I have all these skills. What's my problem? Yeah. And it's just, it literally, I feel like something that's never gone away with me is a little bit of fear. Like, like I always walk through my fear. I'm always filled with fear. I mean, it's, it's pursuing this career is scary, especially since the, it, the city's really never bounced back from the writer's guild strike of 2007 because the strike is what killed my deal. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, that's why I started the podcast. Well, I started the podcast because I did a show at UCB Sunset, or I did a bit on Jen Kirkman used to have a show where three people would come on and talk about something, and I talked about court shows. Oh, okay. And, um, and a couple of comics came up to me, and they were like, you have to do a podcast. Michelle Balloon was like, I'll show you how to do it. You have to do a podcast. Um, it's so hard. It was always off and on. It's back on again. But, okay. But Daytime I, justice. Daytime justice. But... Uh, my point is, is uh, it's never really come back. So it's very, it's just as hard to find production work as it is to be an actor, as it is to get stage time. Like now nothing's easy. Whereas before working in production, you go from job to job to job, job to job, because there was so much going on. And even though there are more channels now and more outlets, right. there isn't, there doesn't seem to be more work. I have friends that used to work all the time that are like, I'm down to my last penny. What the fuck is going on? Really? Yeah. Where's all that Netflix money going? Uh, to Netflix. I mean, I don't know no, how that much... that $8 billion that they're spending on original content. Right. Well, they... Well, I mean, yeah. That's the thing. I've and only met... And then Hulu and Amazon and everybody else trying to catch up. Well, I only know two people that have worked on reality shows mm -hmm. at uh, Netflix. One is my bosses that created Queer Eye, because they're doing the reboot for mm -hmm. Netflix. My bosses. My partners. <laughs> I got to start giving myself some fucking credit. Uh, and then um, one guy that I met, this guy, David Henning, who just did like some kind of car show that's a reality show for Netflix. Okay. And that's it. I don't know anyone else who's worked on oh wait that's not true one of my friends is working on a show about magicians for netflix oh okay yeah but that's it i don't know anyone else and i know a lot of people in reality i don't know anyone else working on a hulu original for reality an amazon or nothing i know more people working in the digital space doing youtube red shows no. like i'm working on a youtube red show right now and you're also still making web series mm -hmm. which is just like making a tv show but but tiny. This Rick is small. Well, this is why I love this web series. It, well, I think it's funny as shit. I don't care if no one else thinks this. I think it's hilarious. Well, that's why you do it. Yeah. You do it because you enjoy it. Well, you know why we did it? When I was in New York last year, mm -hmm. we, my friend Randy and I were so depressed about Trump being elected president that he was like, we got to do something to make ourselves laugh. He goes, I wrote these sketches and uh, let's do these characters from Michigan. And I was like, oh, no, no. Uh, we have to make it like a reality show. So let's shoot the sketches and then let's shoot us around town doing stuff as tourists. Around New York City. Around New York City. And then we'll do sit-down interviews. Mm -hmm. And he was like, how are we going to do it? I go, we're putting a phone on a selfie stick. And so he was like, that was the best idea. So that's what we do. And we did a second season in L.A. And then we're hoping we can do a third season in Vegas. Okay. With Bob and Donna. But uh, it got into... A web fest here and two web fests in New York, or two web fests here, two web fests in New York, and then we got a sponsor. We were branded for a hot second by Withings, but then they Nokia bought them. And oh. 
But it's so funny. Like, I, that's the one thing that I'm like, how come that hasn't taken off? Because that makes me soil myself. <laughs> I just think they're so funny. They're so stupid. And, fu- and we improvise everything. Okay. We just go, okay, now we're going to go to the farmer's market. And we improv it. I ran into Dan Levy. Do you know Dan Levy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dressed as Donna <laughs> at the farmer's market. He's like... What are you doing? And I was like, um, I'm doing a sketch. Uh, see my watch? They're paying for it. And I'm, I feel dumb right now. I feel dumb. <laughs> what techniques do you use now to overcome the fear when it, when it tries to creep in? Hmm. I just, I just kind of, I just keep my head down. You know what I've always thought of myself as? A Central Park horse. They're miserable. They're trudging through it, but they've got their blinders on. So they're like, I'm not going to pay attention to the outside world. I'm just going to get around this fucking loop. That's what I just go. Put your blinders on. Walk through the fear. You're shitting your... Let me tell you something. I did roast battle for the first time like a couple months ago. I have never been so scared in my life. Like it felt like the first time I ever did stand up times a hundred. Doing that show has given me more confidence because I'm like, if I can do that... Like that's like a hostile work environment times a thousand. Right. It's, but it's so much fun, and everybody who does who produces the show in LA is so fucking nice. Um, so no matter what your opponent says about you, it's horrifying. The whole thing's horrifying. oh yeah. But no it matter can what, roll off. Oh totally. No matter what they. I got my ass handed to me at my last. Row. I won the first two and law. I didn't get my ass handed to me, but I lost. Mm-hmm. And to someone who I love and respect, and okay. who's so funny and. I'm so glad he battled with me because I wanted to battle with someone who was going to give me a run for my money. And, uh, but it's just so scary. It's really scary. So, but I just, that's kind of like one of the exercises I do. I'm like, I'm terrified right now. I'm going to do something that scares me. I'm just going to keep doing things that scare me until I'm not afraid anymore. And I still get scared. So maybe I need to jump out of a plane or something. Mm. Have you jumped out of a plane? I've never done that. Yeah, I have no interest. (laughs) (laughs) So... As you face the future, yes. What part of your experience helps you the most? Hmm. In terms of persevering. That's a good question. Because it is a show business, and it's a fucking marathon. I'll tell you what helps me. I always go back to something, and he probably doesn't even remember meeting me, but Bob Odenkirk. Mm -hmm. I uh, met with him in his office. He had an office at Raleigh Studios. Okay. um, Because he was doing a Fox sketch show. And I went in to meet him, but I didn't didn't even audition. I didn't get. But I think that's why I was there. I'm not even sure. Ann Maney, who was had been at Disney, was at Fox, and she was still trying to help me. So she got you a meeting. Got me a meeting, and I sat in front of his desk, and we chatted for a little bit, and I just said, I was just kind of like, what's happening? Like, how long is this going to take, or will I ever work? Like, what's the deal? And he said to me, he goes, Sharon, everybody's number comes up eventually. You just have to wait for your number to come up. We just don't know when it's going to come up. And I was like, awesome, thank you. And I... Just think of that when I'm like, there's got it. Like, it's so many people around me right now are starting to like pop or have sold a show. And I'm like, I have to be next. I just have to be. And I have, but I don't rest on the laurels of what I've already created. I go, I have to be next, but keep moving forward and keep creating and keep making contacts and just. Well, I mean, just look back at Bob. Yeah. I mean, even though everybody in comedy loved Mr. Show. Brilliant. Like. It wasn't until a few years ago where he gets 
a small role in Breaking Bad, and then suddenly he gets his own show, and then suddenly he's being nominated for all the awards year in, year out. So his number came up. His number came up big time. So he was following his own advice. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm pretty safe following guess, his advice. I guess like the shorter version of that is just if you really want it, don't give up. Yeah. I think that's true. Unless you're not talented, and then you should give up. Well, that's the thing. It's like... <laughs> if you're <laughs> never making it past an open mic, you should give up. Yeah, or, you know... And, and listen, there's some comics that I look around and I'm like, they'd really be amazing if they tried harder. Mm-hmm. You know, if they just tried harder. And I think I'd be even better if I tried harder. You know, like, I never tried to go out on the road because I was afraid I was going to get raped. I'm just going to keep it 100. I had a couple scary things happen to me, and I was like, this is not where I want to be. So, uh, you know, so that's... Do you feel like now that we're finally listening to women absolutely not no no I'll tell you why because Adam Richman I still see him at flappers they still put him on oh even after his rape case yeah and but here's the thing he eventually didn't get convicted for that right he was convicted and then they 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 dropped the charges but here's the difference and I had this conversation with my friend Eric I was because he was like yo you don't know if he did that shit I'm like hold the fucking phone I go if somebody accused you of raping someone I'd have a real hard time believing it because you, I've known you for a long time and I know your character when somebody said Adam raped somebody I'm like well is this of course he did is this right. the first time like of course he did like women know we, we work with these creepers all the fucking time that's what I was telling uh, a civilian friend of mine who was asked me how I felt about this and I said well so far all the names that have come up do not surprise me not at all no, whether whether remember when whether we those, were having whether that <laughs> whether that specific allegation is true or not it doesn't surprise me that they did something to someone yeah it's never a shock yeah remember when we were at the cellar yeah and Ray Ellen was like if Louis C.K. walked in the door right now I'd ask him if he did something to those girls this was before the New York Times audience before the New York Times article came out yeah. and, and then I go oh really and then who walks in <laughs> and Sean looks at me and we just start laughing and Louis goes hey guys and Ray just goes hey Louis yeah I mean to be fair I didn't say anything either yeah, but you didn't but, threaten to. No, you didn't I, say you were going to. You didn't fucking... He got his... Fe- Ray was so... Plus, we were walking by each other. It would have been weird. Yeah. I smell weed. Yeah. I guess that's our cue to go. <laughs> <laughs> Not as recreationally possible here. It's Well, it always smelled like this before yeah. then, so... Well, Sharon... Thank you for having I'm, me, I'm Sean. I'm so glad we finally did this, and I can't wait for your number to come up. Thank so you. So then people will come back and listen to this and go, Oh, oh it worked out! It worked out! <laughs> I can't wait for my number to come up either. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thanks, Sharon. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.